Welcome to Lame Stream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you like the show, rate, review, subscribe, smash that subscribe button. Britain? What the hell was that? The subscribe <laughs> button. I enjoyed it. We would like you to smash. And hey, while you're smashing it, you know, tell 20 or 30 of your of your, of your closest friends. We'd appreciate it. Teresa Walker, 31 years with the Associated Press in the state of Tennessee, has been the Tennessee editor of the, of the Associated Press, the AP, as it is known, uh, in the state of Tennessee since 1992. And has Tennessee, been a, Tennessee sports editor, yes. Sorry, Tennessee sports editor. And has been, I'm not even kidding about this, literally at every single press conference that I have ever attended. She's attended all of them, but the only ones I've ever been at, she's almost always there as well. We are going to talk to her for a long time about a whole lot of stuff. She is a Hall of Famer for a reason, Steve. Cannot wait to talk with her. And we've got some interesting tidbits, news conversational points that we're going to we're going to bring up on the show before we get to her in just a second. Of course, recommendations a little bit later on as well. However, Lamestream Sports is brought to you each week by Jaspers! I just left Jasper's, had the Creole roll. It was delicious. And you know what I didn't pay for? Parking. Didn't pay for parking. Food? Uh, I paid for the food, yeah. That, like, yeah. You, okay. yeah they, they charge you for their products. Yeah. No, this podcast is free. Their food is not. Big difference. Good <laughs> distinction. Good uh, distinction. Great parking, great menu. Deb Paquette's done a great job putting that menu together. All the chefs in that kitchen have started adding new new things to the menu. It looks great. A lot of new cool items on there, so go check it out. Uh, great place to watch the game. Great happy hour, four to six every single day, Monday through Friday. So all kinds of great stuff over there um, at Jasper's on West End. So make sure you are going to Jasper's and giving them some money for some delicious food, okay? Because you don't have to spend any of your money on parking. So just invest it all in the food. It's what it's there for. Or an extra cocktail, because that's basically the cost of parking, and they're over, and they make more money on cocktails. How about that? Even better. <laughs> Even better. Go to Jasper's. All right. So Teresa Walker is going to address a couple of these issues, and we're going to ask her about a couple of these issues in our conversation with her, Steve. But we sort of have, a, I don't know, one, one to three things we need to discuss here because she does work for the AP. The AP has been involved in a couple of large-scale international issues this week. And we also have another international story with Naomi Osaka stepping out of the French Open because of press availability. So before we get to Teresa Walker, who has um, many, many awesome things to say about many topics and great stories to tell, I, I do think we probably need to quickly touch on a couple of these things that are happening in the media world. And I think number one for me, Steve, is, and you've mentioned this a million times on the show, that teams have now closed down access and availability to a digital Zoom, non-face-to-face world. And I do not think teams realize how much sometimes that can actually hurt them in the long run with the media. You're speaking about the Osaka stuff, but I think in general, that's absolutely true. The Osaka thing highlights some of the problems that we have with press conferences right now. And we've always had these problems with press conferences. It's just that that the way press conferences are transmitted instantaneously differs than, than, it, than it used to. I was listening to uh, Tony Kornheiser had a really interesting kind of point on this. He said, you know, th- these have always been sort of kind of bland sort of things and, and, and kind of perfunctory in certain ways. He said, but then every now and then 
John McEnroe comes in and lays down on the couch and opens up, you know, opens up his, you know, his brain in a therapy session with reporters. And it's the most, some of the most interesting, insightful stuff that you've ever had. And so, you know, we in the press, we, we want that sort of access to, to athletes because we want to be able to tell interesting stories. And I think what you're getting at is that as we close off that access even more and as, you know, as athletes have more and more ways to kind of put out whatever message they want to put through social media, through their own publishing, through whatever else, the stuff we've talked about a thousand times, the, the relationship between the press and the athletes has changed even more. And so the, the Osaka stuff is interesting in that her view of it is that, that they're asking incredibly invasive questions and, and that, that doesn't, that don't help her prepare for a, a tournament. And, and I don't know from her perspective that she's necessarily wrong, but I, but I think it may be a function of a, a bigger problem around them. I, I think for me, cause I also understand that if you're going to make a fortune, I always talk about this with Barry Bonds. If Barry Bonds is making $25 million a year, well, th- 2 million of that is to talk to the media. Like that, that you're getting paid as part of your contract to do this. And so that's what the money's for. That's part of why the money's there. <laughs> you're, you're not getting paid $25 million because you're like really great at trading stocks. Like you're, you hit dingers. Okay. So you're, you you got to talk about it because the fans want to hear you just like with Naomi Osaka, who's one of the best players in the world. I think the issue for me is that the teams don't see the benefit to, to creating multiple avenues. I think they're, they all can coexist together. The players can have their own avenue to distribute their content on their own. The press conference should be for, as Teresa will explain, sort of the hard nuts and bolts facts of the situation because we're having a press conference about a game, right? Or about a hiring or about a firing or about an event. Let's talk about that. The reason all the other crap gets thrown into those situations is because you don't have the other intimate settings to have those more delicate conversations. And so if the team actually allowed people to interact with Pecorine or... Ryan Tannehill or Derrick Henry or whoever, a little bit more, COVID notwithstanding, I think it solves both problems. It solves the, the press conference problem. It solves the intimacy problem or lack thereof. I just think if they all are flowing in their most efficient manner, they all actually work really well together and the fans get the best possible vision and you know story about their favorite teams. And it's not bad for the team. It's good for the team. No, and I think that's something that's that's hard for professional franchises to understand because so much of what uh, so much of what a franchise does, whether it's from the front office or from the coaching staff or or whatever, is about control, and it's about being able to shape every single minute of every day or be or be able to control every single aspect of a game, and that's that bleeds out into you know everything from from you know sixteen hour work days to to you know, whatever else it, 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 it's, it's symptomatic of, uh, you know, some other things in professional sports and, and often the relationship with the press becomes a, you know, becomes a, a, a symptom of that sort of need for control, whether it comes from the very top or from, you know, people in public relations positions within the team or from the coaching staff or the front office, there's a hundred different places it comes from that need for control and, and it almost always backfires in various different ways. And, and, and I wish that, I wish that teams would learn much sooner that, that the more access that there, that there is the, the better. So th- this will help us pivot into the AP conversation, which is also a very interesting one that's taking place right now. 
which I think has a lot of layers to it, but it's also, it's about people in general, the conversation from the AP firing reporter for having opinions back in, I think it was in college about a controversial topic that is a delicate and controversial issue that needs to be handled with nuance and sort of grace to some degree, but clearly not what's happening. It's about people. And I think teams, just because we were, we, we maybe grant great access to our players doesn't, stop the bad actor from ask, from asking the douchey question during the press conference. It, it, it the media is not, you know, innocent here in this either. There's still going to be someone who stands up at SEC Media Days and asks Tim Tebow about his sexuality. Like that's just a douchey question. And that's still going to happen whether you grant access to Tim Tebow or not. That that but I'd like to think that you can pick those people out. I'd like right. to think that teams can be selective that they will see Steve Cavendish or Adam Vingan or a, a serious reporter and say, well, we can trust this person to be fair and know the difference between the guy who's going to act stupid and, and give them access versus the person who's going to do it responsibly, which speaks to people. Reporters are people. And I think the industry is wrong. Teresa will disagree with me on this. I think the industry writ large is wrong for trying to uh, eliminate like human bias from the equation. I, I think there is inherent bias because we are human beings. I think the key is who handles that with the most responsibility and uses it fairly. And I think people that run companies just overreact way too quickly to all the stuff that they see. But that's just me. I mean, you're you're referring to the the AP reporter that that just got fired for some for some social media views and other she stuff. She has a brain, Steve. Oh my God, she has a brain with right. thoughts in it. Holy shit! Earth shattering news. Well, and and I and I and I shudder to think that if if Twitter had been available to me at, during college, what it what it might have done for you know what it might have done to shorten my career or force me to look elsewhere. The thing that goes along with that is we've talked about having access to access to the internet and how it puts an immediate spotlight under under you know on people that are ha young in their careers in ways that never had before. I think I've told the story on uh, on the pod before about a mistake I made and getting dressed down by an editor, but at the same time, you know, I was told, you know, go forth and and don't do that again. You know, in, in cases like this, it's fatal to the career of uh, of a person who's obviously talented for reasons. I mean, it's just it's just absolutely it, it it's is absolutely baffling that the, the standard that kind of we're holding kids up to at yes. the beginning of their professional lives. Good, good faith media can no longer be managed by Twitter. And that is what needs to happen. There, there needs to be smart, strong people in charge of these companies who are the good faith people out there trying to do the right thing with ethics, not bowing to social media pressure that disappears in 48 hours. Like I, I think, I think the good faith people are so concerned with perception and so concerned with this bias thing that, I hate to break it to every human you got inside of you. <laughs> I, I just think it's it, you're just bowing to public pressure that's in the moment. And if you just have a stiff backbone, the pressure disappears and no one cares about what a, a reporter tweeted in her high school days. Like no one cares. She is. I, I, I don't know. Am I making sense right now? No, you are making sense. And that's why the the discussion that we're having with Teresa is is so interesting and timely. But and in part because uh, of Teresa's sort of approach to her. I mean, I think she says, you know, just I'm just a Joe Friday, just a facts ma'am kind of person. And that's that's how she approaches her job with the AP and kind of her view of kind of how the AP should operate. 
uh, it, it's a really fascinating discussion. Teresa's incredibly experienced, but also uh, just just has a great perspective on both Tennessee sports and and kind of the the role that the the AP has in our industry right now. All right, let's get to Teresa then, because what would you what we do want you to take away from this early conversation is that access actually could help everybody, the team and the media and the fans. And right now the teams don't see that. And I think that's what creates awkward, stupid press conference questions that then some people in the media feel like they have the, the obligation to ask in probably the wrong setting. That's what's being forced upon the situation. Uh, and then I think we can't fight inherent human bias. It's just a part of who we are. It's okay for someone to have an independent thought from their work. Uh, I just think that we've got to remember all of that. So that being said, we've got recommendations coming up a little bit later on. Please enjoy this conversation with one of the smartest people we will ever have on this show, one of the hardest working people we will ever have on this show. And we were so grateful for her time. The Associated Press's Teresa Walker. Teresa, welcome to the show. It is great to see your face. How are you? I am good. I'm a little tired. Uh, it's just when, when teams are in the postseason, I just, uh, you know, the late nights, late tips, uh, it, it just wears a person out. And uh, I'm not as young as I used to be. <laughs> uh, Father time undefeated, despite what young people will tell you. Um, all right. Let's start with the basics of how you got here, how long you've been here and sort of what the goal of the Associated Press is. It certainly is something that everyone who's consumed any piece of media knows what it, knows what it is and knows what the name is. They may not know all the inner workings of how it goes down and, and its importance. So number one, tell everybody how long you've been here, how you ended up coming here, and then what's the importance and sort of what is exactly the role of the Associated Press? Well, I, I'm lucky. I've, I've wanted to be with the Associated Press ever since a college professor said what the starting pay could be. Uh, but I actually joined the Associated Press in December of 89. So I've been here a full 31 years uh, going into my 32nd, all in Nashville. Uh, started out with AP writing college football and basketball games, working at night, talk, taking stuff over the phone, and have been the AP state sports editor since June of 1992. Uh, the, the Associated Press, anyone in Tennessee that that knows that the state just celebrated its 225th uh, birthday. Well, the Associated Press has just celebrated its 175th uh, birthday. It's the world's oldest and largest news gathering organization. Uh, you know, as Mark Twain once said, there, there are two forces bringing light to the world, the sun and the Associated Press. So, uh, and I paraphrase that a bit, but yeah, we, we provide the news from everywhere. So, you know, the odds are that you have read an Associated Press story at some point in your life. You think Mark Twain has the same comments about Twitter? Uh, I, I would love to know what he says about Twitter. I think it would be very salty. Very well put, but incredibly salty. So so perfect for Twitter. Yes. So, <laughs> so I, I want to talk a little bit real quick about sort of the process. So you're covering a Titans game, for instance. The... If nobody, if you've never been in a press box and if you've never seen kind of how the AP works, uh, there is there is a process here towards the end of a game and at the end of a game and in the post game where you're fulfilling a lot of different needs because the AP doesn't just put out one story. So what happens? What happens at the end of a game? And talk about uh, let's let's discuss sort of the the, the process that 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 happens. 
Well, it, it used to be, you know, before social media, it was a little easier. Uh, but, you know, if there's injuries during the game, uh, I'm writing a story. Uh, now we have something called the latest. So, you know, uh, remember that segment against the Jacksonville Jaguars where they scored, you know, what, six touchdowns in, in the span? I mean, that really ridiculous segment. I was filing a little chunk uh, to, to send out because it was insane. So uh, Tommy Maddox got taken off the field there once upon a time well before social media. Uh, in a Steelers game taken by ambulance to a local hospital, I'm writing a story. But as soon as that game ends, and I mean as soon as the clock goes zeros, I am finalizing, you know, checking the last stats, you know, what's the final total net yards, you know, what did, you know, what did Derrick Henry finish running for, uh, and, and filling in little spots in my story. But within a minute or two of that game being done, I have to punch a button, send a story to New York, uh, and then try to get downstairs in normal times or get on the Zoom these days and be ready to start asking questions, getting quotes, because an hour after the game ends, that's when my second version, it's not a completely rewritten story, but it's that first story with a fresh lead uh, and quotes wet, you know, weaving, wove through, yeah, I'm a writer, right? Uh, worked <laughs> through the story. Uh, and, and then so by an, an hour after the game, we've got about 800 words on the wire, eight, 850 words. And then it's time to focus on, you know, the other team and write, you know, sometimes write another story, write, if there's a bunch of injuries, write maybe yet another story. And these days, maybe file some video, embed some videos into the story. Uh, so it's a long day at the football stadium. So that first story is what, 200 words, 400 words? 400 to 500. Okay. And then, and then, and then you're basically doubling the length of that. And then if there's other features that are written off the game as well, you may, you may be in for that. Yes. And that happens quite a lot, uh, you know, when there's injuries. And so, you know, the, uh, I wanted to write a story the day Vince Young threw his uh, shoulder pads into the stands. But, uh, you know, I, I kept trying to convince an editor. No, 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 no. This was his last game in a Titans uniform. Washington won that day. And it's like, no, no, no. Go with go with, uh, you know, uh, the other team. And it's like, OK, I, I know what my news instincts are saying, but let's do this. Well, so how many days of the year do you not cover an event? Well, I get five weeks of vacation a year. So, but, uh, you know, or in February, I was so convinced John Hines was going to be fired. I, I took a day by a pool in Florida and wrote a story on him. So I had that preparation ready in case David Poyle did something I didn't quite expect, but I wanted to be ready for. Uh, uh, 2009, I was on a beach in Florida when Steve McNair uh, was, was shot and killed. And I confirmed that from my room, uh, you know, taking notes in the back of a book. So, you know, let's just put it this way. And social media makes it worse because it, you know, it, I may technically be off, but there's been a lot of times, yes, I'm bugged. Uh, I was lucky the Shea Weber PK Subban trade happened while I was on a massage table on a vacation and my <laughs> phone was off. And when I came out of that massage, my phone was just, I can't tell you how many messages I had, texts, you name it, but a colleague took care of it. That's thats the beautiful thing about AP. I do have colleagues in other cities to, to help me out. It's, it's interesting because there's, you know, even within our company here, we have different people and different beats and different topics for different subjects and different audiences. You're I've every single press conference I've ever been to in the state of Tennessee, you've been there <laughs> and, and you you just you have to and it's from memphis all the way to to 
Johnson City, you've got to cover it all and you've got to be there all the time. Let's say in normal times, right? You've got to be there at all these different events. And I, I just don't think there's many people with the role that you have where you have to be able to, 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 to toggle so quickly from Titans to SEC to hockey to basketball to college baseball. Like try to give people, uh, again, I guess that question was how many days a week do you not go to a, an event? you basically are have to have to cover every single sporting thing that happens in the state of Tennessee. Yes. When, uh, you know, when the stuff is going on with ETSU and Jason Shea, I was keeping tabs on that. While at the same time, I'm monitoring the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, you know, free agency is going on in March. So I'm keeping tabs of the Titans and free agency, trying to, you know, trying to confirm who they're, you know, who they're cutting, who they're, you know, signing. So while at the same time getting ready for SEC tournament and basketball, you know, right now, uh, you know, I'm paying attention to the Predators who are wrapping up. We're going to see what they do this offseason, the Grizzlies in the postseason, you know, Titans, you know, Julio Watch started June 2nd, and we'll see what, where that takes this Titans team maybe. And so, yeah, there, I, I, I usually – people say, how many beats do you have? And I used to kind of kid about 14, but honestly, I have the entire state now. It's a buffet table, and, you know, that's where Twitter is a good thing. I, it helps me keep track of everything, but, uh, you know – it, there's times where I'm writing five or six stories in a day on as many different subjects possible. I mean, I, I, I've, I've been, you know, there was one day where I'm covering Bud Adams. Remember when he got fined for, uh, you know, the uh, double bird salute against the Bills? Well, so I, 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 I broke that, uh, uh, that fine via source. And I had four other stories that day. One was a normal Monday story on the Titans. There was a lawsuit involving a PGA golfer in Memphis. And I can't even remember the other two. Uh, but it was like, it, that was one of those 13, 14 hour days. So uh, back when we actually had a Titans media workroom, I can't wait till the construction's finished over there. Uh, because I'm usually, uh, for six months of the year, I'm usually the last person out of that room. And I'm usually the first person in just because I'm so busy while I'm, you know, while I'm there. You're a beat writer, and, and you're on all of these beats. And, and there's a premium in cu- in, in breaking news. Uh, you want it. You you want to try to break news, but how do you balance kind of the breadth of what you do versus the the, the desire to break a news on a beat? It's kind of like, I call it triage, Steve, because that's the thing. I mean, you know, there's stuff that you know. I have to think more nationally in a way. Uh, you know, when when the Titans during the whole COVID situation, I was getting up, you know, six. 5.36 a.m. for what, two weeks there, you know, trying to see what's the latest test result, how close are we, are we going to have a game? The day of the Buffalo game, I was up that early uh, to make sure that there were no new positive tests, that the game remained on. And, you know, so yes, I was checking in with sources, you know, in, in Nashville on the national level, you know, and, you know, was just staying incredibly busy because that was the story of the moment. Uh, Steve McNair situation, that was, that wasn't just national news. I had lines uh, in Australia off of that story. So, uh, you know, but then there's times, uh, you know, I'm going to go Clark Lee, he got hired. It's like, I was trying to stay in that pot. You know, I want to break as much news as I possibly can, but there's just times where I have so many other things on my plate. I've got to kind of judge, you know, it, it, you know, is it, is this a, a Davidson County 
thing is this a Shelby County thing. Uh, you know, when, when shoot, when Jeremy Pruitt was fired by Tennessee, that was a all hands on deck kind of thing that had all my attention, all my oxygen there for a few days uh, until they got that AD hired, you know, hired the new coach. Uh, and I was trying, but, you know, I've only been covering uh, Tennessee, you know, as part of my bailiwick for about a year now. My colleague, Steve McGargy, you know, he's now in Wisconsin covering all things Aaron Rodgers. So, you know, it's my sources think take over a beat in a pandemic. You tell me how good your sources are. <laughs> Not very. So uh, I felt like I was on the outside looking in for several days on that. But do you know, yeah, swimming with the feet going underwater, trying to break that news. So it, it's just, you know, trying to figure out who's going to be interested in what, how big is the splash going to be and how and that helps decide when I dive in. I think that's a fascinating component to the AP is that you have this hyper local beat and now it's more of a state beat, obviously, but you have this, all these hyper local stories that, that a golfer in Memphis is getting a lawsuit. Like that's a hyper local thing that only people there care about. However, you're writing for an organization that wants to be able to use your work across the world and across the country so that it can keep everyone up to date on everything from everywhere. So how, how do you, what's the thought process like when you maybe explain their thinking, maybe not your, you know, your agenda, but their agenda on all of the different Teresa Walkers that are out there, right? Like they have a Teresa Walker everywhere and, and they want to make sure that you're delivering just enough to keep people in the world entertained and informed while you're still keeping the people of Tennessee engaged as well, right? Like that's a fine line. It's an incredibly fine line. And that's where experience comes in. And just you got to have a feel for your beats. You know, it, you know, like uh, when 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 Mike Vrabel's talking, I might not write off of everything he says, I, you know, I might not write anything. Um, because maybe I've got two or three other things on my plate that day. Uh, you know, there. So I, you have to pick and choose, you have to see and just get, gauge. And, and here's the thing, you, you rarely are ever yelled at, you know, for what you do right, you know, but you got to make sure you don't miss something, you know, once upon a time, you know, there was a Tennessee volleyball coach who uh, was let go. And then, you know, a couple years later, some things came out about what she might've said. Well, we wrote about her departure at the time, but when she left, there wasn't any, there wasn't any words, you know, or anything. So could we have done a, a FOIA request, open records to see, you know, why she particularly, you know, left her position, uh, you know, but nothing raised the, the antenna at that point. And at that point, we did have a sports writer in Knoxville. But then a couple years later, you know, there's allegations that came out. And it's like, I had an editor say, why didn't why didn't we have more on this? And it's like, we wrote what we had at the time. So in hindsight, yes, sometimes you, you're bitten in, in the backside and you miss something and then you play catch up as fast as you can. But, you know, that's where just, you know, it, 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 the years of experience, you know, it's, I would not want to be somebody coming into this job with just a couple years on the, on the beat anymore, because it, it, it is a very different kind of thing. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not covering just one team the entire time I'm covering all these teams. So the the ability to balance is you have to know when you need to pay attention to something and when not to. And it, it, it isn't easy because, you know, you see people locally, you know, uh, you know, the, the suspensions in Tennessee football, you know, I, I, we had a story on that, that ha that came out during the SEC tournament, a colleague wrote a short story and I was busy with everything else. So I haven't gone back to that. I'm monitoring it. And we'll, you know, so it's, it's just, it's tough. 
and you have to just know what you're doing. And it's a, it's a, it's a completely experience and field based situation. When I pull up, if I pull up Teresa Walker's cell phone and I check your app usage, what does it look like? I've turned off the uh, little guide that tells me how long I've been on my phone because <laughs> because between the, the work phone and the personal phone, and I'm a tweetaholic, so I'm monitoring things on Twitter and, and tweeting just for the heck of it, you know, all the time anyway. So, uh, and between that and trying to read from Chattanooga to Memphis and, you know, the subscriptions I've got, you know, just personally, in addition to what AP has. So, yeah, I'm, I'm reading an awful lot of stuff all the time. Every morning I get up and I check the major websites in the state. I, I try to check the, the major, you know, I'm, I'm, Twitter's the first thing I check. Very first thing, because, you know, that's that's where stuff gets broken. I mean, I know people hate Twitter, but for journalists, it's our tip service in a way. So yeah, I'm on that. Um, it's, la- it's the first thing I check in the morning. It's the last thing I check at night. I, I, don't, I, don't, I think you undersold this a little bit, um, particularly as a, as a working journalist who has to look backwards at a story sometimes. Most journalists will say that the, the first thing that you're doing when you're when you're going through research is, well, what did the AP do? What did the other, you know, the other media do? But it's almost always the AP there at the center of it, uh, as this sort of as this sort of service of record, uh, in a way. It doesn't matter if it's news, if it's sports, if it's entertainment, whatever. Uh, but that's that gets harder to do. When when you got started, how big was the sports desk and how big was the state bureau uh, when you it, it, from 89 and then you what, took over in 92 as the state editor? Yes. When I joined AP, we had a correspondent in Memphis, two people in Knoxville, person in Chattanooga, person in Johnson City uh, for the state. I think we were around 21 to 23 staff members. Uh, and now I am the only person doing, you know, now we only had two sports writers then in the state. So now it's just one with me, but as far as staff, it's, yeah, it's paired way back. I mean, we have one correspondent still in Memphis, but there's nobody in Knoxville. There's nobody in Chattanooga, nobody in Johnson city. And we've got, I I think if I count everybody in the bureau, then maybe we're uh, seven or so in, in, in Nashville. And that includes our person who covers entertainment, a couple people who cover the capital state capital our photographer uh news editor and so yeah it's 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 not as easy so but and that's that state bureau is now it's now what a combined tennessee kentucky west virginia uh well i think yeah i think those are the three states see i'm now in sports fully which you know kind of ap kind of regionalized our sports uh around 2007 so i've been reporting through the south region of sports since 2007 so i'm not even technically in the nashville bureau i just kind of work here so uh i rear our bureau these days is in the first amendment center it's a gorgeous office i'm hardly ever there unless i need notepads and batteries or mail (laughs) go ahead see um, when Steve, when Steve left to go to, to go to Wisconsin, uh, how much, how much did that add to your workload? Because Tennessee is such a huge beat. A lot. I mean, it, it, I mean, think about it. I added a team that was in the top 25 in basketball this last year, a football program that was in, you know, big decline after a, a bowl game. And then, oh, oh yeah, a firing where they fired the coach and nine others. 
uh, hired a new AD and hired a new coach. And then there's a women's basketball program that historically has been one of the best, in, you know, best ever. And it's going through its transition. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been a completely new thing. You know. Oh, hey, and baseball's good again. Right. And, yeah. Exactly. It never fails. So that's why for people who are worried about Josh Heupel, don't worry. That program is going to be in the top 25 before I ever want it to be just to make my life more. (laughs) I mean, think about this. The best football team in the state's been Memphis, right? I've made a bunch of trips over to cover the Memphis Tigers in football. You know, they've been better than Memphis basketball the last three, four years. So, uh, you know, so yes, that added, uh, it added at least it, I went from a really large tray of stuff. Now that's why I have the buffet table with yeah. stuff and zoom made this last year kind of doable. Cause I could be everywhere. Once that ends, I'm a little afraid for what happens at that point. Cause I can't physically be there and zoom has allowed me to be in so many places. It, it's interesting. And we'll come back to this, but zoom and social media have, have kind of helped your job to some degree where it's it's hurt a lot of other people's jobs. There's no question. Although you did say, don't don't worry, Tennessee fans, you'll be back in the top 25 because they're now on your beat. I, I would argue they're just going to fire him sooner because they're on your beat, and that's that's probably far more likely. You're just going to deal with another coaching search uh, in the matter of of two years. Lamestream Sports is brought to you by Jaspers. Jaspers. It's a place to eat and watch a game. Some might call it the next evolution of the sports bar. Many have called it the next evolution of the sports bar. So I was talking about this with Adam Vingan on the gold standard. You're an editor, newspaper guy. Probably have a stickler for the rules when it comes to like, I don't know, spelling and grammar and punctuation, things like that, right? I mean, yes. Yes. If I were to call Jasper's, a very unique sports bar, a very unique place to hang out, a very unique spot to grab dinner with your friends or family on a Friday evening, perhaps, or lunchtime. Would would that bother you? Extremely. <laughs> very unique are mutually exclusive words, my friend. <laughs> I believe and, redundant uh, is the word. On other podcasts, you should not do it on this one. No, no, we had the debate because it bothers him too. It, bo- yeah. it bothers Adam as much as it bothers you that you cannot say very unique because unique it's redundant right unique does not need a modifier right exactly yeah so jasper's is not very unique it's just jasper's needs no modifiers either (laughs) go to jasper's where we need no modifiers (laughs) so now let me ask you this follow-up steve cavendish who's now on uh, in the middle of a press conference at this point yes sir if i said jasper's is the single greatest sports bar in nashville tennessee would the single greatest portion of that sentence piss you off? I mean, it's not good. I mean, do <laughs> I get pissed off over the? I, I get pissed off on like like you only want to piss me off. I mean, use over as opposed to more than. I mean, everybody has their ticks, and you know, use use one of those. Use one of those wrong. The Tennessee Titans won thirty-five to fourteen over Houston. Is that wrong? That is correct. Not according to NHL.com. Adam Vingan said he was not he against. You don't win over anyone. You win against someone. Does that uh, bother I, you? That doesn't bother me. It, using, so Jaspers. Using, using over as a substitute for a, for a greater number is, is, is problematic. Okay. So like if I scored 48 points over your 13 points? Yeah, more than. Yeah, right that's there. stupid. I'm with you. That's dumb. 
That's yeah. dumb. I just enjoy saying single greatest. I think that's the, I think the gold standard is the single greatest cocktail in Nashville. I think Jasper's is the single greatest bar to hang out at. I think the private dining room is the single best spot to book a room and watch. Would a anything game. ever be the double greatest though? I mean, could you have something else that was <laughs> greatest is a superior. I mean, it is it is the it is the highest form of a word. There, there's if something is the greatest, there's nothing right beside it that's also the greatest. So hence why I asked the question because I used to have an editor who's been on this podcast before who told me never to say single greatest or single I mean, best. I mean, it, I, I just think it's, him. It, it, it's a colloquialism that we fall that we fall into because you know some schmucks out there on the radio keep saying it. It's emphasis, and I think it's fine. I think it's fine. I that one I don't it doesn't bother me at all. I just want to make sure people know that Jasper's is the single best place with the single greatest happy hour with the single best menu, the single best grab and go market in the city. I don't even know of another one. So obviously, maybe it's the triple best. <laughs> Lamestream Sports, come for Jasper's, stay for the AP style guide. <laughs> uh, the food is way better than the AP style guide conversation. Uh, I was I was actually in Jasper's here last week with a friend, uh, and I have to say, the happy hour specials on drinks are just fantastic. It's just it, it, it's just it, it may be problematic that the bartenders are starting to know me uh, a little too well. No, that's I good. Mean, Jen with two I mean, ends. Yeah, I mean it's not like it's not like no, you know they're norming me when I walk in. Norm, <laughs> but um, but that might be a problem. No, anyway, it's it's good. Jasper's. As we said last week on the show. There are many epidemics that Jasper's is trying to solve. The parking epidemic, shitty bar food epidemic, and happy hours masquerading as a discount is not is I don't that's a problem in American culinary food society. At Jasper's. Very real, very unique discounts at Jasper's. Come to Jasper's, folks. You won't be sorry. <laughs> Jasper's. Let, let me ask you, if you had a thousand stories a, a year you wrote, what what sports in the state of Tennessee, what percentage is, like break down the percentages of stories that are Titans, that are Preds, that are UT, Knoxville, Memphis, you know, just g- give me the, the priorities of out of a thousand stories, this is how many are focused on X, Y, and Z sports. Can you do that? Yeah, uh, Titans are at the top, so they're probably going to be 200, uh, 200 to 300 of the stories, uh, you know, because while I try to limit myself to a story a day during training camp in the season, you know, I'm writing three to five days a week uh, during the football season on the Titans, and then next would come probably college sports. And I'm going to throw football in there probably at the top, just because of the importance in this day and time, and then college basketball after that. But, you know, those kind of share a line with the Predators, who I do more of because I'm here. I try to go to 10 to 15 games a year uh, in normal times. Uh, and then every single playoff game, I haven't missed a playoff game for the Grizzlies or Predators. I've missed two predator games since 2011 and i've covered every other playoff game in this state uh for those two franchises so uh and and then after that then you know it's a potpourri of features and stories from you know everybody else you know whether it was a rick bird or you know something happening uh i i got to talk to john moran a couple years when he was still uh still in murray state because i went to tech and did a story and talked to him uh after a game against uh, tennessee tech because that was the close 
closest place for either me or my Kentucky colleague to catch him at a game. Uh, so, you know, so yeah. And I, I, I'll say this, I, I had a colleague once who was kind of worried, he was in that probationary period at AP and he was kind of counting up the number of stories he had, you know, a week or a year. I've never done that because I'm a little afraid to check. But like, like, like 5,000, <laughs> like 2,000, give me a ballpark. Well, okay. There's five weeks a year that I'm technically off for vacation. So that, that leaves 47 weeks a year. Or so, you know, there's days where I write two to four stories uh, and that's an average, you know, I write three stories sometimes every Monday and Wednesday during football season. So I'm going to guess, yeah, probably close to a thousand stories. So let me let me put it this way that, that you may have a more tangible answer to. How many miles you put on your car a year? <laughs> average is about 20,000, which is kind of, you know, I, I, you know, that's been the average for the last 25 years. So before and, you have to go to Knoxville every weekend. That's going to change the the equation because, you know, thanks to the Grizzlies, I covered their playing games. I covered the, you know, their, their games in Memphis with the, 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 the jazz. So, uh, and, and I hadn't been to Memphis uh, since the golf tournament last August. So, you know, the pandemic definitely saved my car, but uh, and that and zoom, but uh, the miles are starting to accumulate again. What's the routine like on the way to Memphis? Do you have, do you have, are you decompressing or are you, are you, are you listen to, Radio, you listen to podcasts, what are you doing? I have music loaded on my phone. I like to listen to my own music. It's funny to watch the track the track of technology. You know, it used to be cassette tapes because you know radio would be spotty. Then I then I got a CD player, and then ooh, now I can get a multi CD changer in there. And <laughs> and so now that I've got the phone, you know, music. Then I have the iPod, the hook in. Now it's all on the personal phone. And I, you know, for those late nights when I'm driving back, I mean, I've covered playoff games in Memphis and had to be back the next morning for Titans draft. That's when the rock playlist comes in and it's hard, you know, it's Foo <laughs> Fighters, it's stuff to, to, to keep me going because that drive, I've been called the queen of I-40 for a reason, but it's because of all the trips I've made, but that stretch from the river to Memphis, Ugh. you can, you have to stay Ugh. awake. It's just yeah. tough. Yeah. Yeah. Brutal. It, it, it's, it's just one of, it's just one that and the, 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 that and that, that upper, upper Northeast uh, drive are like the two worst stretches of, of, of interstate in Tennessee. Just, yes. Just nothing there. Yes. And I made that drive. There was one time where uh, it was in July and they had this thing called a big three and it was in Bristol, Virginia. They had Arnold Palmer, Gary Player and Jack Nicholas come and play for the CBS t televised event. So I went up there and covered it. And and trust me, staying up there, I really appreciate the Jason Isbell song Super 8 even more after that trip up to Bristol. Um, but, you know, that was such a cool event. I had to cover that. And Pat Summit was there. And she was following along these folks. She was a fan of those golfers. And then she had her little group following her because they were just Pat Summit fans. And so I covered that, filed a story, drive back to Franklin that night, drove the next morning to Memphis because the golf tournament was starting the next day. So, yeah, you want to have fun. Drive from Bristol, Virginia to Memphis, Tennessee in the span of about 15 hours no, no one, good thanks no, nobody wants to die in a super eight motel it's uh, no, <laughs> no truer words have been spoken um so uh, you and i have talked about this a little bit in the past Teresa, and that is that that because the ap like steve just alluded to sort of is the the entity of record on so many stories sort of right out of the gate like you said you're filing on a news event two minutes after it's over 
Um, because that's the case, you have to be ve very judicious with your own personal opinions and, and what you write in the story. You're not anywhere close to a columnist. You're not really allowed to have much of that. So maybe explain to people that, that think, because there's a lot of people out there, myself included, that the opinion in the media is way too close to the fact and it, it, it's, it's tough for users to sort of just differentiate. Um, what is your process and the AP's process behind you know, differentiating between just get the facts on this story out versus what you're allowed to have and think and feel outside of just the nuts and bolts of a story? Well, here's the thing, and I know it's tough for people to understand, but check the feelings and opinions at the door. And people say, well, how can you do that? And it's like, easy, I have a paycheck coming in, and I want to keep it. So it's like, when I go to work, and I, I am allowed to use, you know, I've covered the Tennessee Titans since they moved to the state. You know, I talked to Jeff Fisher when he was surrounded by boxes in a dorm at Tennessee State in July of 1997. So it's like, I've covered this franchise long enough, so I, I know it. So I can use the, the information that I've gained from covering the team or, you know, Grizzlies with their rebuild, the Predators with, you know, what we're expecting to be a youth movement this offseason. And, and I can use that background knowledge to help inform how I write, you know, say the importance of uh, adding a Julio Jones to the Tennessee Titans offense. You know, so I can use that kind of information, you know, to help shape uh, what I'm writing. But the opinion, there, there is none. And, you know, I, I've had a lot of people tell me that that's what they still like about reading my work is because they know they're going to get facts, they're going to get information, uh, you know, and, and, you know, some of that background that maybe it, it's, some people might think it's opinion, but no, it's, it's not, it's just experience and information about something, you know, and, and, and AP tries to do that, you know, and does do that very, very well, when it, whether it's a politics, state government, you name it, you know, when you've got reporters covering things, we know what's going on, and we write it that way, and, and you know, Associated Press, we serve everybody. You know, we, you know, we, we can't, we have to go down the middle, all the, all the gauges and measurements of, uh, of, you know, we are fact-based reporting and we play it right down the middle because we have people on one side buying our services and we've got people on the other side. So we just, you know, it's, it's an old school phrase, Joe Friday, just the facts, but you know, with those facts, you can put in context might be the best word to use. Yeah, opinion free doesn't necessarily mean color free, and I think yes. I think the the best AP reporters uh, do a really good job of, of of being able to inject color into something, uh, and I think the, I think the AP's gotten better over that with that over the years of being able to it, be able to put context and 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 feeling into a story as opposed to being. I mean, it was it, it was it used to be a lot more buttoned down. I think you you you've probably earned the freedom to to like you said put context and 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 margins in this. Well, because and that's the thing when you know something, you know when the Titans you know, took so many defensive players, you know part of that context is knowing well this defense was really bad last year and being able to back it up with stats. And, and spec, you know, specific facts, you know, once upon a time, Jim Schwartz is back on the Titan staff as a senior defensive assistant. You know, we once had a little conversation because I was using a phrasing and he goes, you know, he says, you know, and he had, he helped me. I started being way more specific and it ends up making better stories. You know, Titans last year, well, they had 19 sacks. They were 30th in the, in the NFL, better than only Cincinnati and Jacksonville. That's the kind of context that, you know, points out, Yeesh, they were really bad in that area. 
uh, you know, so, and so, yeah, and that's the fun part, you know, being, being able to put those details in or, and context and, you know, back, compare it to days where they were, they were very good at getting to the quarterback. So it's like, you know, just, and some people these days, if you're new on the beat, and, you know, the Tennessean has, you know, Ben Arthur's a good young reporter, but, you know, he's the uh, second, third guy. I'm losing track, you know. He's the third guy in four years. Yeah. It, yeah. it feels like that. Yeah. I mean, since Jim Wyatt went to the Titans, it's been changing cast. And, you know, we, you know, there's some OGs here on this beat, but, you know, I'm the one who's been there, you know, day in, day out uh, on this team, regardless. You know, I didn't take a break to go cover the whole AFC South. I've been here the entire time. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I can bring that context. I'm just saying. Right. Well, and here's my question. And this is maybe a larger, these are both sort of mar- larger media questions. I, I don't understand because context and color, as you alluded to, Steve, are still fact-based. Like you pointed out, like, Context is is just putting a frame of reference, a factual frame of reference around an individual item. It's not really opinion. <laughs> and that's, yes. I, I don't understand. Why do you think that people are having such a tough time as a country? This is an unsolvable question here, so I'm going to make sure you answer it. Um, why is it that why is it that people because. All right. Now I'm off on another subject here because bias is inherent, right? You said you, you, you check your feelings at the door, but bias is an inherent thing that just exists inside all of us. We can't take that away. So, so checking that at the door, but also adding context, why is it that people are so afraid to read that and not just accept the truth? Like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know what I'm asking here at this point. Well, it does feel like people have preconceptions and when they are presented with something that maybe doesn't jibe with those preconceptions, they don't want to accept them, uh, you know, or they, you have to to persuade them. And it feels almost like it's tough to persuade people with facts these days. So I just stick with that. And, you know, the one thing is I hear from a lot of people that they'd like that. So, you know, I'd love to have way more Twitter followers. We all would, but, you know, I'll, I'll keep plugging along doing what I do and, you know, uh, keeping my bosses happy, which is the only thing that truly matters. Do you hold back on Twitter with thoughts and opinions? Of course. I mean, you know, I I might see something that I'd love to hit the, uh, the like button on. I'm not doing that. Uh, I don't retweet a ton of stuff because for that reason, you know, people who are tweeting out opinion, I'm not touching that with, you know, because if I retweet that or like it, then that can be seen as my opinion. So yes, I absolutely, I, I am a self editor. There's times I'll hit a like button and it's like, uh, uh, no, no, take that back. Stop it. Don't do it. <laughs> there was a, there was an incident with an AP reporter here uh, a couple of weeks ago. There's a kid uh, coming out of, coming out of school, fairly new in her career at the AP. Uh, there was a, there was a concerted effort uh, mounted against her by a, we'll just call this sort of a right wing, uh, a right-wing effort uh, for her views on Hamas during college. Uh, and it, 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 the reporters that I've talked to uh, have said that have said something similar to what you're saying, which is that they're even more conscious now of what they're saying on social media. What's the state of, uh, of kind of play within the AP and within reporters at the AP and social media right now? Are you, are you more concerned? Are you than ever? Are you less concerned? Are you, uh, are you where does, does incidents like that make you wary about what you put online? Well, 
I've always been wary because, you know, AP, it's like, I mean, I once retweeted a colleague after the Casey Anthony trial. I thought it was a funny tweet. I got a call from New York, my top boss saying, take that down. You have that kind of call. And, and again, I thought it was a funny tweet. I didn't think it was on either side of the uh, the uh, verdict. Uh, you get a call like that. And it's like, I don't want to lose my job. My job is not to have to put opinion to be funny on social media or to share what I think about stuff. And, and, and that's the thing. And I had a great conversation with some younger colleagues or in the business in Memphis over the weekend. And, you know, and it may be that we need to train some of these younger journalists a little bit better that, you know, yes, people are looking to, you know, to take you down from, from all sides. You know, it's, you're not allowed to have much of an opinion these days, it seems, because people will be telling you why you're wrong. Well, as a journalist, we have to, you know, remember, I mentioned that whole objectivity thing, fact-based reporting. And if people think that we're having, uh, you know, that we're letting our opinions slip into anything, and if you're slipping it into the social media atmosphere, that's where it's easy for people to start taking pot shots. So, uh, you know, yes, is it is it constraining? Sure. But if you if you want to be a journalist, that's part of the gig. If you want to be an activist, then go do that. And so maybe it, it is a great idea. I think maybe younger journalists, maybe that's something we need to be talking about in journalism schools, that everybody wants to be on social media and everyone feels like they have. I'm seeing a lot of young journalists, uh, you know, especially in the, the wake of the Tulsa, you know, uh, uh, commemorations and, and celebrations. Well, celebration is the horrible word, but you know, the marking of that horrible moment. And there, I'm seeing a lot of people tweeting opinions and the, the everything that's going on in the NBA. And you know, everybody's got opinions on why stuff are happening, races being involved. And it's like, guess what? If we start diving into those conversations. People, you know, you have to be careful because we want people to trust us when we're reporting facts and not think that we're reporting maybe only half the story. I'm trying to report the whole story of everything that I'm covering. And if people are thinking I've got other opinions, then they might quit reading me completely. And then what, how effective am I as a journalist? Well, I think you make a great point. I would argue we need to be training the executives, not the young journalists, uh, more so, but that's just me, um, because I think it's impossible to not be a human being also. <laughs> like you are a reporter, but you are a human being. You've had experiences. I, I don't think it's that hard to see. Again, I will say this all the time. Like, I don't give a shit who my accountant voted for. I don't care. I don't care what he thinks of political issues. I just want him to do my taxes great. I can read a great story by you that gives me just the facts on the Tennessee Titans football game. And then also separate the fact that you may think X, Y, or Z about X, Y, or Z topic. I don't, I think the executives running companies across this country are the ones that are really like, you can't take the human out of human being, in my opinion. I, I think we've reached a point where we need to start leaning into more of that. But again, that's, I, I see your side of it as well. Right. And I'll just say this. I've had conversations, again, I've been at AP over 30 years, well before social media existed. I had conversations with people who did not believe that I could be objective about something simply because, well, either I was a woman or I was this or I was that. And it's like, no, you can check those things. So, uh, you know, if we have questions, I'm going to err on the side of keeping my opinions to myself and expressing it in the voting booth uh, because because I just want people to make sure that they're getting information and I don't want people to give people a reason to you know shut off getting information on a topic because they, they doubt you know who's writing it. So you know maybe I'd love this. I'd love to see more media 
education, you know, in high schools to, to help and maybe some remedial courses for adults, but, you know, to help them understand that, you know, that it's just, there's a whole profession here. You know, we actually do have ethics. We do have standards. We're not just throwing, you know, and the problem is there's so many, if you want some detail to back up your opinion, you can find it on the internet these days. It, you know, it's so easy to put up a website and suddenly be saying something. And, you know, that's where the biggest challenge is. And that's why I think that, you know, being objective, having that space and knowing who the objective reporters are is incredibly valuable. The to switch topics here, the the Australian softball team landed in Tokyo today, uh, and looks for all the world like the Olympics are gonna are gonna be uh, going on. You're one of a, a handful of senior AP folks who gets called in for big events, and you've covered a bunch of Olympics. Do you know yet if you're going to the Olympics? I made the cut. Yes, they pared down our staff uh, because of the pandemic. And so I am among the group going. Uh, my flight's supposed to leave July 21st and I return August 9th. Uh, so I'm going to miss the Grand Prix. I'm going to miss the World Golf Championships in Memphis. And I'm going to miss the start of training camp for the Titans. Uh, I'll be helping cover women's basketball uh, an hour northwest of uh, Tokyo. And we'll see. I'm, I'm vaccinated, have been since April 30th. And, um, you know, th this is going to be an experience for the ages, it feels like. What are the what are AP's preparations like that are different than uh, different in previous cycles? Well, not too different. When I went to Vancouver, I had to get vaccinated for H1N1 before I could go, you know, across the border, you know, and that ended up, you know, everyone was kind of worried about H1N1. That wasn't a thing. Rio, it was Zika. I saw one mosquito in the entire time that I was there. Uh, never used, uh, you know, in, in, in that gift bag that we had, it had some, you know, <laughs> mosquito repellent and spray and, and stuff. Never, ever used that. Um, so this time it'll be carrying a bunch of masks. And, you know, we've been told that Tokyo, it sounds like it's going to be like Nashville in, in August. It's going to be hot and sticky and, and messy. So uh, take lots of masks so that when they get wet and disintegrate, you can replace it with a new mask. So now we have been kind of told that, you know, the seating is being pared down because, you know, to social distancing. We've seen it with all the games we've covered in person over the last year. So, uh, you know, there's a potential maybe um, covering something from my hotel room because there, you know, I would be the second or third person at a basketball game. So it's going to be, it's going to be unusual and, uh, and unlike anything I've ever done. Do, do, are Olympics at the top of your list of, of memorable experiences? I mean, I'm assuming you were at the Super Bowl. I'm assuming you've covered almost everything that there is under the sun. Where do the Olympics sort of fall in your memorability scale well at the top I, i've done i think five super bowls i have a hard time counting this last one because i didn't work the day of but i covered the whole week so uh, i've been told count that one so i've covered five super bowls um but you know this the 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 cool thing about the Olympics is when you're seeing people from everywhere. I mean, I've run into people that, you know, that used to be in Nashville who now work in Utah. Uh, that was in South Korea. And, you know, getting to meet even my own AP colleagues. I mean, I've got people that I'm good friends with the, from around the world, from, you know, Belgium. Uh, I've got a gentleman who's, you know, we kind of joke as my Olympic work husband. You know, I've got a good buddy from Australia. You know, Vancouver was great. There was a pub right across the street from the media center. We went there every night to drink. 
You know, so I, I've gotten I've gotten to meet these people that, you know, I, I know their names and, you know, I've seen their bylines, but now I can have a, you know, I can share a dinner with them. So that, and then you're covering these athletes with people from all over the world as well. So it's a really cool experience being in the opening ceremony in London, the closing ceremony in uh, Vancouver, those, those were incredibly fun moments. And then, yeah, 2018, I got to cover the women's hockey gold medal game that went to a sixth round shootout and the U.S. wins gold for the first time in two decades. So uh, I don't think I slept that night. So that just because the adrenaline of covering such an, a fun moment and then that night going to the check house and seeing members of the U.S. team's family watching that game up on a big board and everybody's drinking beer. So those, yeah, it's definitely at the top of my highlights. How's the energy different in a in an Olympic stadium than, than say like a, an NFL stadium or a, or, or a major league baseball park that, because it, because there is, there's a very different sort of feel. Well, it can be very different. I mean, you know, because in a way it's almost like an uh, NHL in a way, kind of a corporate feel at times, you know, in, in, in 2018, you had in, in Rio, you've got people there and you've got fans, you know, you've got family of the athletes who are there and they can be loud and they've got some banners and things. And, you know, they dress, you know, you're dressing up for your country and, and some really great getups, but, you know, sometimes the crowd can be a little quiet you know, in that hockey game, it was loud in there because people knew they were watching something that we'd be talking about, not just the next day, but for a few years from now. So, uh, but it, it is a little, sometimes the crowd reaction is muted, especially in the early games. You know, in Korea, they had, you know, singers, they had an opera singer come in one time. They had you know, all sorts of acts to help fill in the time between, you know, half times and things like that. So uh, kind of similar in Rio, they were doing some, you know, the, you know, didn't see any, you know, dogs chasing down frisbees or, you know, uh, quick change kind of acts, but you know they had some similar things, just trying to create some energy. So, but you're so busy between writing the game, watching the game, getting up to speed on the next team that you know it, it, you you kind of tune out the crowd a little bit, just like you do here. Uh, let me ask you about the art form of a press conference. Uh, Steve and I have been to many. Uh, you have been to more. And you have been basically front row asking the first question at literally every press conference I personally have ever been to in the state of Tennessee. And I, I, there is a large debate right now, of course, coming off the the, the incident with the, the French Open and Naomi Osaka pulling out. I, I think there's a larger conversation here that with Zoom, and with access being restricted, it is forcing people, and not you because you know your role is different, but forcing people to ask awkward, um, intimate, you know, not normal press conference questions in a very public forum. And, and then we become, we being the media, become part of the story because we're being broadcast too. So I, I guess just your thoughts on sort of the evolution of the press conference and, the, and does more access help the teams as well as the reporters? That last part is a really great question because, you know, there's so many more websites, there's so many more people, you know, getting into, you know, covering sports, but, you know, in a way it hasn't changed because what you, what we now have are websites or somebody having a podcast or, you know, radio show. Well, there's always been radio, you know, there's always been people getting a credential because they work for, you know, this tiny paper in this town and because they know somebody's father, who's the publisher. So yeah, I think some of these weird questions have been around. It's just that, 
you know, with, with cell phones and, and TV cameras, it's just so much easier for these to travel faster everywhere. I mean, you know, I've seen some very awkward questions. You know, I've been, I covered, Memphis used to have an ATP event every year, you know, and, and the likes of everybody from Jimmy Connor to Bjorn Borg played at that to Andy Roddick and Michael Chang. So, and I've, I've shoot, uh, Venus Williams played there uh, one year. And so I saw some, you know, you, you do get some people who are asking questions for, you know, I, for me, I want what happened in this match. Where are you doing tomorrow? What tournament are you playing next? And some people will come in and they'll ask some question for, you know, some story that they're working on. And I'm wondering, why did you ask that? And why did you ask that here? So, but the problem is you're kind of forced to ask these questions in these press conference settings because access to the athletes has never been easy and it's gotten so much tougher. You know, with the prize money going up, there's, you know, there's the handlers around them, there's the, the entourage, the, you know, the, the PR directors, you know, protecting them. So getting close enough to them to ask the question on a more intimate setting is challenging. Uh, so it, it, it's an incredibly tough tightrope to walk. So, you know, I, yeah, people are going to throw out a question because they're never going to get a chance to ask it in a different fashion. And so it, it does come off at times as incredibly awkward. Could you have asked this elsewhere? Sure. But they're not going to have that chance. So that's what happens. And when you do, and, and I'll say this, I've gotten a lot of criticism over social media for throwing out softball questions. I get the first question with Mike Vrabel and people, people want me to tear, you know, why did you do this? And, you know, you can't do that to, I can't chew somebody's arm off to start a news conference because, you know, it, it, yes, sometimes it is a softball question just to get it started. I have asked some tough questions over the years. I will ask more in the future because when there's a time, when, when it has to be asked, I'm, I'm not afraid to ask it. And, and I will say this, there's many a times I trip over my tongue and, you know, completely botch a question and, you know, and sometimes I need a do over. You were inducted into the Tennessee Sports Writers Hall of Fame in 2020. Well, that's I, gonna because of the pandemic. I mean, where's the ring? You, where's the yeah, ring? As you say, uh, so, I haven't had the ceremony yet. No, it'll be July 20. Uh, excuse me, July 8th in Lebanon at Cumberland University. And yes, there's a plaque, and I've got a space for it on the wall. I've been waiting to put that up for over a year, but patience <laughs> in a pandemic. <laughs> um, how are you old enough to be in a Hall of Fame? Now, I you you. You have you have thirty years of experience, but you're not 30, you're not old 34. enough to be you're not old enough to be in a Hall of Fame. Well, yeah, I'll, I figured <laughs> I, I'm not turning it down, Steve. I'm not giving back the plaque. Um, but Teresa, <laughs> I think this question is more about Steve than it is about you, honestly. I, this may be a little bit about me, but but go ahead and answer it anyway. <laughs> well, no, it, it, you raise up a good point. We've I've got some colleagues who are like, wait a minute, we should only be inducting people who are retired. Um, you know, and I don't mind being able to say that I'm a Hall of Fame reporter at this point, but you know, it, it is challenging. But you know, I would like to say that I mean, I'm the first woman to be induct, first woman sports writer to be inducted into this organization. You know, we've honored. Uh, you know, June Stewart from Vanderbilt, uh, Debbie Jennings from Tennessee. So there are, are women in there, but they're all sports information side. So I'm very proud of being the first woman who has had a career that's lasted more than a minute in the state of Tennessee. So uh, 
you know, 30 decades, no, three decades, excuse me. I feel it's been a it feels long, like 30. It feels like 30 after all these late tip-offs over the last two weeks, right? <laughs> but, you know, 34 years of journalism and, you know, 30, nearly 32 with the Associated Press, you know, it, you know it's, it's not a bad little resume. Well, we, we are so grateful and thankful for all of your time today on the show. We do appreciate it. Uh, I know I am a better, I don't know, lowercase J journalist, having known you and been around you and, and watched you work for as long as I have. And, and so thank you for giving us some of your time and, and enjoy your trip to, to Japan. Be safe uh, and uh, hopefully someday get some sleep. One day you'll get some sleep. I have vacation coming up. And uh, yes, uh, trust me, I lot lots of sleeper on the on the plan. Are you taking, do you ever take odds before you go on vacation here about who's going to mess up the vacation? What franchise is it going to be this year? Is it Titans? Is it Preds? Preds. Is, it, is it a college? Well, if I usually take uh, at the end of June into July. So it's always NBA uh, deals. Uh, I still, John Krasinski is now with The Athletic. He was a former AP colleague. He was the one who confirmed Mike Conley's extension when that happened. So it's like, you know, thank God being with AP helped save me at times. You know, like I mentioned, the Weber PK trade. You know, I was on vacation on, you know, on a massage table. So, uh, but it's always NBA, NHL, because that's when the uh, new calendar yep. year free agency yep. starts don't, don't worry philip forsberg's new contract will be announced when you are drinking a nice cold beverage on the beach don't worry about it i'm, I'm sure it will happen it. <laughs> Teresa. thank you so much my pleasure thank you both Braden and steve that was Teresa walker from the ap and i i, I don't know what else to say Steve, other than I love her, <laughs> I just <laughs> I just love Teresa Walker. I always have, I always will. I meant what I said at the end of the interview. I have learned a lot from her. I, I love her personality. She's very self-deprecating. I just she's great about everything. Just a great person, and I'm glad I've I've uh, got to learn some some stuff from her over the years. It takes a lot of things to be successful in the Associated Press. I mean, it's it's a it's a specific style of journalism. It's a specific style of person that thrives within the AP, and one of them is. They have a high motor. <laughs> they are very, very productive. And Teresa is, in, and I get tired sometimes thinking about all of the stories that she has to write because that is not my, that is not my motor. My motor is, I, 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 I overthink things. I take too long to write things. Uh, and I, I'm just blown away at the amount of the stuff that she produces. But this is true of most AP reporters. Unless you're writing like kind of like the, the big takeouts for AP out of either the New York or Washington bureaus on a regular basis, you know, you are, you are there to, to churn out the news and good Lord, she does it a lot. It, it's, it's just, it's just mind blowing. A, a thousand stories a year is about three a day, every day for the entire calendar year. That, that is incredible. Um, and I also think the other thing that's really incredible that I, I just don't, people don't realize, don't think about, I even in the media didn't think about, the fact that Mark Twain was alive to comment on the AP <laughs> is something that stood out to me in that conversation. I knew it was old. I didn't know it was 175 years old. Yeah. And it and in a time where the media is so important and yet so discounted and attacked by the by bad faith arguments, it it just speaks to how important the industry how important it is as a part of our country and the AP being on record with this is the news. This is what happened. Here are the facts. It is an invaluable resource for our country and for sports fans. And I think we underappreciate it in a big way. 
Hundred percent. There you go. I, I left Steve Cavendish speechless. All right. You want to move on to recommendations? We're gonna have. We're gonna. We're we have gonna, the same recommendation. We're gonna share recommendation. You can tell for different reasons, but we have we we have we have the same recommendation. You can tell but, that we sort of plan this show sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> we knew we were gonna have the same recommendation, but we didn't plan having the same recommendation. So, Mayor of East Town on HBO, seven part series, crime drama in a small town. I think it's just uh, northwest of Philadelphia, I believe. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's in it's in northwest. It's the northwest Philly suburbs. So. My wife and I, long drive home from the beach, exhausted. I was like, hey, I think we should check this out. The kids are asleep a little early tonight. Let's check it out. My wife was angry at me because we started watching it and she couldn't go to sleep. And so we had to watch three episodes in one night and four the next night and got it done in two nights. It was that good. See, that's exactly what we did. We binged it. And I, it's funny. Uh, I, there's a couple of podcasts that I follow that have been watched, that have been doing it week to week. And I've been skipping like the recaps of this, because I know I want to watch it. I love, I love Kate Winslet. I love a lot of the actors that are in it. There's a lot of people that you're going to recognize. And that, you know, we, we were sitting there with like going through IMDb uh, looking, you know, who's Kate Winslet's mom and act the actress that plays her. Mom. Oh, Jean smart. Uh, she's um, go, um, designing women. She is fantastic. She's amazing. Yeah, she's so good. And, and, and she's, she, it, it's funny. Like, like some of the best shows have these kind of like, they're almost they're almost valedictor, val, valedictory. Uh, I'm going to mispronounce this word, um, but they're, but they're culmination roles. They're, they're like a, a great role for a, a an older actor to come in and just chew through scenes. Uh, and you know she's got like one or two scenes per episode that she just you know she's just fantastic in. She's hilarious. It's she doesn't very, have to carry it, but she she does she, she does come in and just and just kill when she's on screen. It is a very serious show with very serious topics, and she is hilarious. Like her she's, relationship. It's so good. So, uh, so the so the, the the premise of it is uh, Mayor, uh, her, short for Mary Ellen. She's she's this uh, woman who grew up in this northwest Philly suburb, becomes a detective, following in the footsteps of her father, who was also a cop. And if you saw the show Broadchurch uh, on the BBC, it is very similar structurally to it. Uh, in that it is set in a small town. There's an uh, there's some kind of outside people who come in uh, to to help kind of kind of push the investigation along. And this is this is the reason that I love it is what you think is you're there for a a murder mystery. You're there for the this 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 crime story. And Broadchurch was like this. It, it turns into this examination of a town's grief. This turns into this examination of the lives of these people. And how how they're affected, how they're deeply affected, and their their deep relationships, and how hard those relationships are, you know, in this specific time, you know, there's a lot of talk about opioids and and habits ravaged that area. And you see effects of that in the show. You you come for the crime thing, but then yeah. you're so blown away by the performances and by the by this kind of deep examination of of lives that is just amazing. I think it's a great format. It reminds me of Sharp Objects with Amy Adams, also on HBO, where it's insider and outsider. It's peeling back the layers of a small town in a community that doesn't always want to see all the different layers that they know are there, but they don't really deal with it. I, one of the things I think I think I want people to take away from watching it, it's it's brilliant. It's just awesome, and it, and it takes you on a lot of wild turns and twists and, and great, great teases and everything. Um, great everything. But I also think it's an opportunity to you know, visually see a community that's probably very different than most of our communities. And I thought that was something that I took away was just, man, I, like 
that's not how I grew up. That's not what my lifestyle looked like. And for better or for worse, there's very different lifestyles out there in this country. <laughs> and people need to, people just, maybe we could just cut each other some slack and, you know, understand that we all have very different situations because there is so much tragedy in, in this story on every level from every angle. And it's, you just, it's tough. It, there, there's some tough scenes. There's no question. There's some very tough scenes. You should, you should catch it. Because if you if you're an awards fan at all, at the Emmy Awards, it's going to win oh, all of them here uh, come <laughs> September. Not the least of which for for Kate Winslet in the lead, but Julianne Nicholson, who is who does a lot of stage work. You've seen her in some some TV and movie roles before as her best friend. It, it is just amazing. I mean, just yeah. absolutely yeah. amazing. This woman's life gets just destroyed and you get to see it sort of see it happening before you. And it's just, it is such an incredible performance that it, it just, it's tough to have somebody who can go toe to toe with Kate Winslet. And she, and she absolutely yeah. does. The, the amount of times that you like laugh out loud during a really serious show is very interesting. There's one scene and you'll know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to spoil it where a guy announces something very strange <laughs> in a very strange yeah. setting. And we just looked at each other and just started laughing the whole time. It was, it was great. Great show. Huge two thumbs up from, from lamestream sports, of course, from both of us. You'll absolutely love it. You can, you can binge it now on HBO max. I, I can't imagine after the ratings that it got, uh, apparently it, it pulled about 4 million people for the finale. Wow. Which is, for HBO is those those are monster numbers. They they're bringing and for them, you know, they're always looking at bringing in new subscribers to HBO Max now, yeah, and yeah. and that's that does it. Yeah, uh, I again, I love the take a awesome actor actress, pull them out into a miniseries like Amy Adams and Sharp Objects, Nicole Kidman and Big Little Lies. It's all these these little obscure communities where they kind of peel back layers and see the the good and the bad and. Uh, I, I'm really enjoying that that model that they're employing right now. So we'll see. We'll see. Good stuff from HBO, Mayor of Easttown. Check that out. Two thumbs up also for the evolution of the sports bar. Jaspers. Two big thumbs up. It's a very unique place to watch a game. Single best place you can watch a game. Sure. It's a good place to park too. So A great place to park. Go to Jaspers. Great food. Great menu. Great happy hour. The grab and go market. The private dining room. The big big projection screen in there, all kinds of stuff. You can have great experiences there. I love sitting at the bar personally. That's my favorite. I enjoy the uh, the nice spacious bar there. It's a, it's a great place to watch a game and uh, it's great great food. I just had a Creole roll today actually as we spoke. Uh, one of the chefs there from New Orleans bringing a little New Orleans flair. Really good stuff. So nice, nice. Fantastic. Looking forward to that. Go to Jasper's people. Hey hey Braden, where can people find you on the socials? They can follow me at Braden Gall, at 440 Sports on Twitter and Facebook, at 440 Media on Instagram. Steve, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe, folks. We'd really appreciate it. Once again, you've been listening to Lamestream Sports. <laughs> Lamestream Sports. Lamestream Spe Sports. Special Lamestream thanks Media. to Teresa Walker for joining us as well. We love you. We just love you, Teresa. For Steve Cavendish. My name is Brayden Gall. Thank you guys all for listening. This has been Lamestream Sports on the 440 Sports Network. In a not creepy way. <laughs>